It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 701, that's 701 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. So, how's everyone's week going for them so far? Good, I hope. Well, I've got another great episode, great show for you today. Joining me as my guest is Paul Cherry. Paul is the author of the new book, The Ultimate Sales Pro, What the Best Salespeople Do Differently. And today we're going to talk about what you can learn from the best salespeople. And for preparation for writing his book and research, Paul conducted over a thousand interviews of sales professionals in a range of major industries. Not just, you didn't just focus on tech or financial services. Got a representative sampling across a range of major industries. And one of the key takeaways we're going to talk about is why you, as an individual seller, need to take charge of your own development, your own growth. I mean, sure, companies can help get you a grounding in the basics of how to become a professional salesperson. But then Paul and I are going to talk about what he learned, about why you need to leverage your strengths, what you need to learn in order to leverage your strengths. So you're just not meeting the metrics. You know, that's not your goal to meet the metrics, but to become the very best version of you. Now, that really aligns with what you've heard me talk about recently about the sales house. It's the sales growth community for B2B sellers. And that's yeah, in line with today's interview. That's growth two ways, personal development and revenue growth. You can't get one without the other. And as Paul Cherry writes in his book, you have to be in charge of your own personal development. No company's going to hand that to you on a silver platter. So that's what we're doing at the Sales House. We're enabling you with the knowledge, the skills, the confidence, and the acumen to become the very best sales version of you, to help you get from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. So you can do that by investing just 10 minutes a day of your time in the Sales House. Do that for an entire year, and I believe you'll never worry about hitting quota again. So come check it out, the Sales House. That is thesaleshouse.com or thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Paul Cherry. Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Andy. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to speak with you again. Yes, see, yes, indeed. So you're joining us from where? Wilmington, Delaware. We're about 20 minutes south of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. City of brotherly <laughs> Yeah. Well, Wilmington, I remember when the train stops there, I always think, oh, gosh, you know, some really sorry, interesting architecture. It, it is. is. And it's, yes, it's, uh, uh, Wilmington is sort of, uh, you know, it goes back to like 1675. Yeah. It's one of the oldest cities. Uh, in the nation. So we certainly take a lot of great pride in the, in the history and the culture. And uh, for many years, it was dominated and owned by DuPont. Yes, yes, yes. So we're surrounded by many interesting estates. Yeah. And then uh, isn't there like a big NASCAR track there too? In Dover, Delaware. Yes, about uh, 30 miles south of oh, us. It's, that is okay, correct. it's that far away. Okay. The Mason-Dixon line goes right now where they would like literally the next to the tiny estate and we have the Mason-Dixon line that cuts the state in two. So you have, you know, on the one northern end, it's the Yankees, the cities. Uh, <laughs> the southern end is the agricultural southern. And it's just, and you can really pick up the southern dialect. Oh, really? Across the, the Mason-Dixon line, yes. yes. Yeah, well, I've driven up and down the Delmarva Peninsula. So yes, got a, got a sense of that a little bit. Yes, you do. Absolutely. All right, well, we're going to talk about your latest book, The Ultimate Sales Pro, what the best salespeople do differently. So what was the impetus to write this book? 
Andy, like a lot of salespeople in my career, um, searching, trying to find, you know, the, the ideal job or whatever. Um, I've experienced, you know, my own challenges, but also working with a lot of professional B2B salespeople to find their niche. And I, I always remember it'd be like, I would spend more time negotiating, you know, the, the, the opportunity to, to get on board with the job. I remember I went back and forth with this one employer manager, three months, and then the first day on the job, uh, the boss said, well, the only way to, to learn this job is just jump out and jump in and do it. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to have to hit the road. I'll see you in two weeks. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I tell you this because, and the reality is today, in today's selling environment, that typically is how a lot of salespeople are thrown into either, you know, thrive or, or, or you die. And what I put the reason for putting this book together is to go beyond tactics and techniques, but really about if you're going to empower yourself and develop yourself, what are some of the processes you can get exposed to that's really going to accelerate your process? Get in gear, take advantage um, of the of the things that are out there so that you can accelerate and become the ultimate sales pro that you deserve. And it's based on over a thousand interviews and observations mm -hmm. of professionals in every major industry. Got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly is, uh, you know, opinionated. Yes. Yes. Which is good. But, I mean, it's not just, I mean, for me, I mean, so often the sales books that come out are sort of reworks everything else that's been done. And, and as you and I were talking about before we started recording us, it's, it's, it's unique sort of to get people to have a real perspective, real point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And so really, you can't always, the problem is today is if you look at, the, according to the U.S. Department of Labor today, they're saying that the average uh, individual, this we're talking about salespeople here, how mm -hmm. many times do they change jobs in their lifetime? Right. And it's about 12 to 15 times. And yeah. even in careers, careers, three to five times. And so the reality is today is companies, organizations, unfortunately, are not taking the time. Or, or the resource to invest in their people to help them succeed. And that's why it requires salespeople to take advantage and, and be responsible for their own career. And who better knows oneself than, than, than ourselves? So, you know, and how we, how we do that. So the opportunities and resources are out there, but we got to take action. Right. We're not rely on our organizations to do it. Well, unfortunately, it's true. And it, it's, you, yeah, not that we asked you to open that door, but that really does open the door as we talk about but well, the venture we started, I started the sales house, which is that sales learning accelerator for and development accelerator for B2B sales pros, because it's to fit that gap. Yes. And what people don't need is they don't need a methodology is they need what you start talking about in the book as well as, and you and I have spoken about, they need more grounding in the basics. They need more perspective on a, all the things that contribute to being a, a professional salesperson, not just here's you know here's sandler become a sandler salesperson i mean it's not that there's not value in that but it's it's there's not one true way to sell that, that's right that's right because of you know our our unique upbringing perspective personality drive ambition attitudes and competencies i mean everybody's wired a little bit differently and so it's to leverage you know our strengths and areas that we need to improve and go with it and it's one of those things i think you and i talked about part of your acronym bald mm -hmm. and that first concept of be is be human and it is be who you are right and when, be the best you can be well i think that's increasingly hard for sales reps because again is is given 
you know, we have some very useful technology coming into sales, but in in the wrong hands, which is oftentimes is, it's used to serve this compliance tool, right? If we've cut, you got to make these many calls, there's many outreach. We can we can check and see are they hitting your activity metrics, and I and I, it's done, you know, sort of harms the salespeople because it's instead of giving them the leash to really develop their own strengths, is no, we want you to comply with this process. And I, I spoke to a, a very impressive young salesperson, a young woman who for sort of high-profile tech company that people recognize, and 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 I could, you know, she gave me a bit of her background. I could tell just by talking to her. Okay, this is a person that got it, right? I mean, you you know that when you meet somebody that says, "Okay, yes. this this person, yes. they got it. They sort of have the potential." And what she was describing, though, she was just feeling handcuffed by the process that's in place and what the sort of the expectations of management to sort of conform as opposed to become the best version of her. Yes, yes, and and we see that in the in a transactional selling environment. I understand, you know, these what we call these performance standards, where you can monitor and help people comply. But you know, because we're talking the complexity of the sales, we're really talking about the quality of the process, and unfortunately, that's where you know it gets um, dysfunctional because. Uh, the quality isn't as measurable. That's where we have mm-hmm. to either coach ourselves or the manager getting involved to ensure that we're working on the quality. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm with yeah. you on that. Okay, so let's, let's jump into your book. So I read right. the book, had several attributes I really like. Is right. Besides just the content being good, is it was short. Yes. <laughs> so yes. it was small chapter, short chapters, so they easy right. to consume, small words, all those things that... that um, for me, are sort of the hallmarks of a good business book. Right. Uh, so clearly, you resisted the the publisher's desire to have you write another twenty thousand words and throw it on there. So, <laughs> so that was good. Good. Um, so the first chapter I want to talk about was one titled "Sales First, Relationship Second. and yes. I thought it was ironic because you, know, you and I are both relationship guys to a large extent. But mm-hmm. and I thought when I first read, I was like, okay, I'm not sure I agree with that. What's Paul talking about? But then I got into it. It's like, okay, it all makes sense. So. Explain what explain what you mean by that. You know, I, I see this all the time. And in this chapter, we talked about, and it's not limited, but it's uh, um, the chapter talks about salespeople who had these uh, established relationships. And in particular, it was um, um, salespeople calling on the medical arena. Mm-hmm. They have established relationships with doctors. And I see this in every industry. So it's not limited to medical, but where we, because of the relationship, uh, we're comfortable with each other. We like each other. Uh, We've really earned the respect, the trust, the understanding. Uh, I'm getting a good, fair amount of business. So it's almost what happens now is we're shifting from what I call prospecting, developing more business to just managing the business. So it's kind of like, well, I don't want to come across pushy or I don't want to come across greedy or or hungry because, well, if the customer wants something, they're going to ask me. So what happens is it's funny how we get a little bit complacent and then mm-hmm. we kind of get into what I call the casual service role. How's it going? Just checking in, touching base, right. anything I can do for you. How can I help you? you know, I'm like, what is this? And so that's where, unfortunately, this fuzzy relationship we're falling back on howdy duty calls versus wait a minute. The number <laughs> one reason why you're there is to sell and continue to sell. Yeah. And I like so- the howdy duty call. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> But it happens. I see. Sure. It with oh, the established. Every day. Every day yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's think- almost like I don't want to push that customer anymore. Yeah. Not that we want. Maybe that's the wrong word to push somebody, but I don't want to pull. I should say pull up, pull them to the next level. So in other words, how do I, you know, I, I have a good understanding where you are today, but wait a minute. I want to take this relationship deeper, make it more meaningful. So it might be saying, let's talk about how, you know, things are going for you this year. Let's talk about next year and mm-hmm. some of what's changing and how you're going to plan for those changes and those opportunities and challenges. All of a sudden, guess what, Andy? New opportunities are surfacing. Yeah. And those issues are co- all of a sudden, guess what? I can upsell and cross sell because now things are coming out. But that's the problem. When I went into that chapter, it isn't about pushing more products on people, but it's diving deeper into this relationship. But that's the funny thing. There's like, well, a it's fine understand what the relationship is, though. And this is, and so a point I keep coming across is because there's been a, a spate of things written in the last year and talking head videos put on LinkedIn and so on with people shouting uh, loudly at us saying that you know relationships are dead and yada 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 but it's the point you make in the book is is and i've written about this as well i think people fundamentally misunderstand what a relationship means in sales i I wrote about this in my first book six seven years ago that yeah it's not about taking people to lunch they don't want to play golf with you is it's 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 a working relationship that's not it's not a friendship and and people say, well, you, you say relationship and they think you mean we're buddies. And, right. and I said, well, you know, if you have a cog and a gear, they have a relationship Yes, <laughs> because they work together to achieve something. That's what you're doing with your prospect. That's you know, right. You're just working together too. And you can define that. I, I call it a learning relationship. That's, and that's right. And you're, you are, you are, you're spot on with that. When we, the, the misinterpretation is a relationship is knowing something personal about you, which I think is wonderful. Like, for example, I know a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. I know you love cycling. Mm-hmm. I know that because you've written about it and I love cycling as well. Okay. And guess you and I could dive into this and really talk about it. But the problem is, is that we'd get 20, 30 minutes into talking about cycling, whether it's road or mountain biking. But you know what? Then point is, okay, wait a minute. What about the business relationship side? And that's what selling is all about, going from the personal, because, you know, I want to know about, you know, like the sales house. Where mm-hmm. are you today? Where do you need to be? And I want to find out opportunities where I can help you grow that business. That's what I call the real relationship. Yeah. See, and salespeople kind of get skittish there. I'm like, why? That's where the real opportunities are. So, well, and it takes, it takes a little bit of that, that personal in order to get to that stage. And I think I see whereas, you know, sales reps, they're they're afraid to do that personal they're coached increasingly that, look there's no time for the personal you know we can't do a little small talk and the research is you know finds just the complete opposite that you're not gonna be able to establish a working relationship without some small talk without some personal interaction and then they get into a situation where you talk about is you know they haven't done sort of the baseline establishment of their personal side now they don't feel comfortable sort of asking a question of somebody making a demand of someone taking a risk as you talk about in the book with a question you might ask. Yeah. 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 You know, I, what I find was so wonderful today um, when we want to leverage a relationship and that is uh, whether it's discovery.org or zoom information, th- these databases are out there that mm-hmm. you can tap into quickly, easily. I can find out something about, and I talk about the business side, you know, a new project, a new opportunity, a new award, recognition, article, something that's going on in this person's world. And I can leverage that as small talk. You know, hey, Andy, I came across an article you were published in. It talked about this. I wanted to ask you because 
talking with other clients. They're telling me this. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you're reacting. See what I mean? In a way, that's kind of small talk, but it's business talk. And all of a sudden, let's engage. And and the reason I'm going there is because I can easily leverage that to dive into discovery to find out your goals moving forward. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, I find a lot of salespeople. I had this just yesterday. Client was telling me about small talk. Is that interesting enough? He was, this was interesting. He said, my people don't know how to have small talk. What do you mean? He goes, well, when they do, they'll like they call somebody in Denver. They'll ask about the Bronco. The <laughs> the yeah, or the weather. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm classics. like, I'll tell you what, there is an exception. There is an exception because, yeah, I, I know one company that organization that could get away with talking about the weather 40 times a day. And the only reason they're doing it is because they're in agriculture. They call 40 farmers a day. Mm-hmm. And when you ask a farmer, how's the weather over there? Guess what? They get excited and that's, animated. They want to talk about it. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a different question for them, right? <laughs> they live and die on the weather. Yes. Otherwise, I don't want to ask that question. So, no, no. And I'm from the East Coast. And, and I think you are as well. And you know what? And again, not to stereotype people, but especially when I've been, you know, I come up raised in northern Jersey across from New York City. We get right to the point. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, well, so, but to that point, sort of following up on this this relationship issue, and another thing you talked about is is which I think is something you know we want to provide some nuance for the people listening. Is is you say that you know in general sales are especially if they're not establishing that relationship, they're generally too eager to please and respond. Yeah, you know, meaning they're very superficial in how they respond, and and. Yeah, you know, one thing that I talk a lot about and write a lot about is this idea of responsiveness. And but I have a very specific definition of responsiveness, which is different than what most people sort of classically think. They think being responsive means just being fast. But if you really want to look at the definition of responsiveness, it requires that you 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 provide, you provide an answer to a problem, right? Otherwise, you're not being responsive to the needs yes. of the customer. So yes. for me, it's it's value. And I define value as you know something that helps move the customer closer, making a decision. Value delivered at speed—that's responsiveness. Uh, yes. It may not be the absolute fastest, but that's your response yes. to the customer's requirement. Yes. And this idea, though, that I think I think you're absolutely right, is that salespeople think somehow that just being fast without providing content or value is somehow valuable to the prospect, and it's not. Right. 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 Um, I think, yeah, and I think where you're going with that is that uh, one of the chapters we talk about is that uh, I had a client in terms of where they would just, um, they would get an inquiry through email mm-hmm. and they wanted to demonstrate their value. So they would just, you know, get right back to the customer with an answer, um, you know, the pricing and availability and what, and I was like, okay, that's good that you respond right away. But then they would follow up with a phone call and they couldn't get the phone conversation right. And that was because uh, the prospect got the information they wanted. It's like, well, they didn't really need to talk to the salesperson. So we came in and what we said is, it's good you're being responsive. But my suggestion is respond to them right away and say, look, I have a few questions because we want to make sure that you know, what you're inquiring, you know, we have a number of choices and we want to make sure that what we recommend is exactly what you're looking for. Can we schedule a call this afternoon or tomorrow morning? Mm-hmm. And interesting enough that people said, yeah, sure. And they would get on the phone call and this was, you know, they were calling on research labs. As a matter of fact, they would talk to these directors and managers. Tell me a little bit about this project. What's prompting your interest? What's going on? What are you hoping to accomplish? All of a sudden, what they thought was going to be a five to eight minute conversation turns into 20, 30 minutes. Why? Because they're tapping into this uh, prospect's passions, desires, their their baby, their dreams, what they want to accomplish. Their closure rate, literally enough, I mean, doubled. 
doubled oh, I, as I, we monitor this process. So yeah, be I've got fast, a similar story. slow down. You see? Yeah, well, I've, you know I mean? I've got a similar story. I mean, I have a client I was working for that was doing a tremendous job generating. They were selling a technical product, about 35 grand it sold for. There's a okay. software component to it as well. And yeah. they're doing a tremendous job generating inbound leads, but their close rate was horrible. They weren't following up the right way. Yes. But the people they had to do the follow-up knew what they're talking about. And so we you know, changed the process almost overnight where they were responding to every lead coming in within 30 minutes. But these people you know, started it with discovery, right? Not just, hey, yes. we're, we're going to have a conversation about this. And they wouldn't provide the information, as you said, without a conversation. Mm-hmm. And But when they got back to people within 30 minutes, they were pretty pretty high hit rate in terms of getting that conversation. And they would get somebody through three quarters of the, the buying process on that first 45-minute call. And yeah, the close rates just went through the roof. So having this idea, as you talked about, having the conversation without just without you know, without just giving the information willy-nilly that they wanted. And I do it. I don't know about you. I mean, somebody contacts me and says, hey, I'd like you to come speak to our our team. It's like, I don't say, okay, well, here's my pricing. I say, well, hey, let's have a conversation about your requirements. That's right. That's right. And yes. it seems you think that, oh, God, that should be second second nature to salespeople. Um, and as you write in the book, it's obviously it's not. But if you yeah. can incorporate that into it, let's, yeah, we're going to give the information, but you sort of, it's, this is a two-way street, right? Yes, yes. You know, here's where, um, here's one way that I can really, I, I've assessed that for people who, what I call, have established relationships, you know, where they're managing accounts and they're doing, you know, a pretty good job of these relationships. I'll take them through the exercise, Andy, to say, give me your top 10 questions, your top, your 10 best questions mm-hmm. that you ask these customers on a regular basis, you know, when you're following up and everything else. And it's interesting for these, and I'm talking about these seasoned um, sales pros where they manage complex sales. They've been doing it for 15 plus years. And it's interesting because I'm going to be blunt here. They're asking very similar questions that the newer salespeople that are trying to cultivate relationships are asking. How's it going? What's happening? What project has got coming up? And then, of course, the personal questions. Uh, what else is going on? Anything I can, I mean, I'm like, man, you got to get, and the thing is, cause we get into these power probing questions and here's what goes, happens as we start to demonstrate these power probing questions. And, and I won't bore people with the details of it, but they push back on power probing questions because it's like, well, they don't say it in these words, but they're like, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask these questions. I'm like, why? Well, because <laughs> It's like they expect me to already know these answers. And it's like, yeah, they do. And it's like, what it, you, if you could ask more advanced questions, they dig a little bit deeper to better understand the things that you don't know about your customers now because they're dealing with changes and mm-hmm. opportunities and challenges. You can never make assumptions and established relationships. We go in with a lot of assumptions that we already know things. And, you know, Mark Twain said this well. You know, Mark Twain, you know, a famous author of the 19th sure. century, said, my favorite person is a tailor. And the reason he says a tailor is because my tailor takes measurements every time that I see him. And where we're going with this is that we're always, you know, you know, assuming that things have changed. And one of my killer questions, it's a basic question, Andy, with established relationships. Is sure. I'm always asking, so, you know, and I don't care about the time frame, whether it's four weeks or four months or a year ago. 
And my question is, so Andy, bring me up to speed or tell me what's changed since I last talked with you. And it's amazing. If I forget to ask that question, you'd be surprised how many times my foot is my mouth because I'm like, what? What happened? Who got laid off? What are you doing now? This is happening. You're using who? I'm out the door. You know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah. I got to find that out. Yeah. But, I, I, I use a variant of that, which is sort of, well, so, so tell me what you're thinking about now. <laughs> yes. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Because then just they're sort of saying, oh, what's top of mind for you? Because, yeah, right. we, we've sort of solved this last problem. So what's, what's top of mind now? You know, it's funny, too, because um, and this is something, uh, not to veer off, but salespeople who are trying to disrupt entrenched competitors. In other words, you know, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's another vendor that, that, that the customer is using. And you know how we're like, um, who are you using? You know, salesperson, who are you using now? What do you like about them? What don't you like? Do I have an opportunity to maybe I can give you a quote or opportunity to show you? You know what I mean? Right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is the prospect, no, 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 I think we're happy. We're content. We're satisfied. Everything's good. But touch base with me in a you know, couple months or whatever, which is kind of a dismiss, yeah. right? And what happens is, is that that's, that's when somebody says we're satisfied, we're content, everything is okay, what you're doing is, the salesperson is, they're, they're digging down the wrong hole. Because, you know, that's not top of mind about people wanting to change vendor relationships. What we need to be exploring is what's going on in your world. What's changing in your job? What's Mm -hmm. changing in your department? What's changing in your organization? What's changing in your market? What's changing with your customers? You know, asking about change, people don't say, oh, everything's the same. Nothing's That's kind of always a trigger that people respond to change, which means opportunity. Yeah, yeah. See? Yeah, and I... And just, you know, for the listeners, I mean, I do something similar. It's phrased a little bit differently, but yeah, I love this sort of basic, simple gap analysis you can do with someone because oh, yeah. it's appropriate anytime is this, is you maybe sold something to a customer a year ago or whatever. And you sort of say, Hey, well, what are you thinking about now? And then that really leads to, okay, well, so what's it look like, you know, 12, 18 months from now. Yes. And, yes. and okay. Yes. So what are the challenges you have to get from here to there? And yes. if they have a competitor solution in mind or are in place already, yes, you're going to learn very quickly where they think the opportunities are that the current competitor can't handle. Yeah. Now, I love your question. Now, I'm going to make a suggestion. Sure. Okay. And you said the question is, what are you thinking now? Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, I, right. That question, yes. I, I, and I love the question because thinking, people are always thinking, thinking, mm-hmm. Okay. And I would add to that, tell me what you and your team, tell me what you and your organ, people, others in your organization mm-hmm. are thinking. Now, why I just add that touch is because sure. what happens is, what are others in your organization thinking, agreeing, disagreeing mm-hmm. with your thoughts? Great See idea. what I mean? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, I'm going to find out that, understand the decision-making process. No, I like it. I like it. Great and, a suggestion. Little bit, and, and a little difference in terms of the criteria. Mm-hmm. So if you're a purchasing agent, so Andy, what are you thinking about? And you know how a purchasing agent, I'm thinking about price and availability. You know, like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let's I, talk about I, I let other people talk to the purchasing agents. <laughs> Thank you. I figured by the time it got to them, there was no reason in the world for me as a, a salesperson or a sales manager, sales leader to be talking to a person, a purchasing person, I had contracts persons for that. I know. Which is a whole other topic. I mean, I wish we had more time. I'd get into that because this is one that is driving me nuts as I'm seeing more things just in the last week about 
you know, how to turn your sales reps into skilled negotiators. And I said, first thing I said to myself is, well, we're having a hard enough time turning our sales reps into skilled salespeople. Why do we want them to be skilled negotiators? And then secondly, is anyway, don't get me started. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, we got to choose what we want salespeople to be. Yes. You know, it's, it's like, you know, in baseball, we don't have one player that's a pitcher. He's a you know, rotates between five positions, right? Pitcher, catcher, outfielder, third baseman, first baseman. Uh, yet we want to do that in sales, right? We want people to be skilled at all those things. It just doesn't work. What do you want them to be? Okay. Deep breath, Andy. Okay. So um, last thing I want to talk about here today, which which I thought was really interesting too in your book was, and it was a short chapter, but as you said, don't go native. And I thought this was a really important lesson for people to, to hear about. So explain what you meant by that. When we say don't go native, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and what we're talking about is when, when, we, when, we, when we get into that chapter is in terms of um, how important it is um, to really be genuine, to be yourself, and to really also get to the real issues of what's important to the customer. Um, that's going to be really important. So a lot of times we talk about this concept, um, and, and the concept is masking or where people put up a shield, a guard. You know, uh, they don't always want to be forthright on the issues. I just had this conversation with a customer yesterday, and she was saying, you're the fourth vendor we're looking at. I said, okay, great. And she goes, and, you know, we're going to really make sure that we don't have to spend a lot of money and we stay within our budget. And of course, my question was, she gave me a lead in to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Is, well, you did mention, you know, have to stay within your budget. So help me understand what ballpark you're looking at. And of course, she was then kind of put up a shield, aloofness. Well, we just want to make sure we get the best bang for a dollar, get the most value. And what I'm, where I'm going with this is that it's so important is that we need to get our customers to be forthright, but we also need to be forthright. And sometimes we just need to speak up and really in a nice political, well, not political, but diplomatic way, mm-hmm. challenge and get our people to, you know, find out and you know, understand what is it our customers saying? What are they not saying? And really let's get to the core issue. So when, and I had to come back and say, well, you're really talking about, and that's important. I'm, I agree with you because this shouldn't be a cost. This should be a return on investment. Yeah. So let's talk about the return that you're looking for. See what I mean? Yeah. Well, and there was another point, though, in that chapter I was really I was diving at is that getting back to the idea of relationships, that salespeople really misunderstand what their role is relative to the customer. And, and you talk about too many reps that in the role of customer advocate think they're trying to get the best deal for the customer. And they think that's their responsibility. Yeah. And... <clears throat> And it's really not. I mean, a, a sales reps, for me, a sales rep's job is, is in advocating for the customer should be, what do I need to provide this customer, help them quickly gather information to make a good decision with the least investment of their time and effort possible? Yes, yes, And yes. so I should be advocating inside my own company for the resources, the content, the insights, whatever, to be able to help enable the buyer to do that, not to say, gee, how do I get them the best deal? Yeah, and it, it, it's this is the challenge we face is because not all, but a lot of salespeople have never been in a position where they're truly a, what I call a business owner mm-hmm. or entrepreneur. So they're thinking in terms of their territory or, and I get it, they're like a first lieutenant, you know, minted. They come out of ROTC and you're there in the front line, you know, in the battle mm-hmm. and your reputation, you know, who you are. You're, you, you, a lot of people, salespeople believe that they're judged and evaluated 
based on the level, how much they're liked, they're loved by their customers. So they take it personally. And I get that. And so they really want to be that champion for the customer. But yet what gets me is that they'll give up those hard-earned margins or to the point is you'll take on this customer at a loss to the company. And it's like, wait a minute, there's got to be a balance here. Mm -hmm. And so that's, and, and I have a client right now that I'm working with and, and the salespeople are griping about, you know, the, the service, the quality of delivery. We looked at the metrics and it turns out in terms of the, the, the missed deliveries or whatever, and, and the, the wrong product, it's like 0.5%, you know, of, of, it was unbelievable. That's stellar results. But what happens is, you know, these salespeople put on these, these horse blinders where they just get a little anal in terms of step back and look at the bigger picture. Sure. So it is, but, but it comes down to KPIs as well. You know, in terms of salespeople are going to, are motivated uh, based on how they're recognized, rewarded, and incentivized, okay? Um, so if I would like to, you know, if that person, that salesperson who is just going overboard to do all he, he or she can for the customer and not necessarily for the company, I'd want to know is, let, do we need to do something in alignment with those KPIs so mm -hmm. they can step back and look at the bigger picture? So it's, it's an interesting thing, but balance is key. And at the end of the day, we got to be, our company's got to be profitable. If it's not profitable, then wait a minute, what do I need a salesperson for? Right. So, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, so I, I think it's sales a people think bigger picture. That's all. Well, and that, right. And this ties to sort of what we spoke about a little bit earlier, which was that the sense of, of ownership in their own business is yes. harder and harder, I think, for sales reps these days to come by. And they're not being encouraged to have it. They may be given lip service to have it, but then if they you know, aren't sort of aligning with the activity-based KPIs, then you know, step back in line as opposed to you know, really develop yourself, develop a sense of ownership. I mean, for me, I, I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of days ago at the, the Gartner event in Las Vegas about this, is, yes. is that yeah, I was maybe I was fortunate, maybe I was lucky, but when I came of age in, in sales, I had that ability to take the risks, right? I, I mean, the downside was if I, the risk didn't work out, I was going to get fired. But right. but I was given the opportunity to fail, and I didn't. But you know, now we're not even giving people really the chance to fail as much. And too many organizations, you know, it's just so rigid the sales process, the development process, you know, the expectations, and. Yeah, we need to give people room to, to grow and to breathe. You know, you, you've mentioned a good point. I, we went through, a, a put um, <clears throat> salespeople through our advanced questioning process, consultative sale. And um, uh, the gentleman's name is Fred. And he, he's doing mostly telephone selling. And I think he has something like 30 to 40 outbound calls a day, something like that. Mm -hmm. He loved the concepts to have the conversations to get deeper. But yet he came back and said, you know what? I don't have time. The, the company is putting these expectations on me is that I get on this call and the most I have is, you know, eight minutes. I got to move on to the next call. I'm not going to hit my KPIs for the day. And if I don't hit my KPIs, so what happens is they bring me in to help them be more consultative, but yet the company is pushing down saying, no, 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 no. We need you to be transactional. Get right. on to the next call. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's yeah, the well, I think I think we're sort of a moment of truth is approaching in many industries and in sales and about this particular issue, right? We've in the last five, 10 years, we've gone sort of whole hog one way, especially in the tech sector. Yes. And increasingly there are I'm talking to CROs and CEOs of tech companies who are saying, Yeah, we need to change this because we've gone so far into the quantity mode that 
Right. Maybe quality really is. Hey, oh, wow. Maybe quality really is the way we should go. And it's like, oh, <laughs> as if that's a new lesson. But everybody needs to learn these lessons for themselves. So, Andy, one idea is, and again, it's going to vary, but for your clients, for example, because every we talked about every salespeople kind of brings unique strengths. Mm-hmm. If it's possible, what would make sense is, is that sometimes you can't have KPIs, the same standard across the board for everyone. Exactly. Now, because everybody's a little bit different. So somebody, some folks may find in terms of that, you know, that it takes eight quotes to get one sale. Others have a, you know, a track record of getting four quotes to one sale. Why? Because, you know, maybe one's better earlier in the sales process mm-hmm. of qualifying, whereas other one is more, you know, hammering, talking to more people. Whatever it is, but I need to, we need to negotiate with the salesperson. Like, what do you believe are the standards? Okay. That's, and, and I'll, we'll write the standards for you. Okay. Let's negotiate it though. Give yep. and take, but give them some, some breathing room. I agree. Because 100%. at the end of the day is, you know, they're going to be more empowered and take ownership because it's now becomes their standards. It's exactly. a give and take. And the, the science on that, the brain science on that is, you know, sort of irrevocably clear. It's been established. Give people a sense of ownership. You're going to get greater performance out of it. So, Yes. All right, Paul. Fantastic. We could go on forever. Um, so uh, tell people they can find out more about you and connect with you. Good. You can reach me at paulcherry.com or the, the, the website PB results, performance-based results, pbresults.com. Uh, that's how you can reach us. So I want to thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure. It, it's today. always a thank pleasure you. to talk with you, Paul. We'll make sure we do it again before too long. Will do. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Okay. Bye-bye now. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the Week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me, taking time out of your day to listen to this, and I want to thank my guest, Paul Cherry. Join me again next week. My guest will be Doug Holt. Doug's a coach, a mentor, a growth hacker, and a lifestyle engineer, a transformational coach. He does a lot of things, all of which are very interesting. But for me, what was really interesting is how he does all of this while leading the true digital nomad lifestyle. And one of the things we're going to talk about, this is Fordham, is how do you how do you develop your own unique sales superpower? Interesting answer. Be sure to join us then. Before you go, don't forget to check out the Sales House, the all-in-one sales growth community for B2B sellers just like you. Visit thesaleshouse.com. See you there. And thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.